All right. Uh, I'm Jordan, a local pastor here with uh, serving with Church 21, and grateful to have you all across the city tuning in with us this morning. Um, this morning, we are starting a, a series on the spiritual gifts called Equipped. Um, and we've decided to do this series coming out of everything that was shared by Dwight uh, last week about the vision we believe God has given us in the church for 2021, to be uh, one church in five locations. And I'm just going to take a moment to reiterate why we are doing this, why we are making this change. Um, and it is that, the reason is that we, we believe the Spirit wants to lead us into deeper discipleship. He wants to lead us into uh, more localized mission. Uh, deeper discipleship, that means that you, you know and you can be known by people in, in small, close, intimate communities to, that you are able to contribute. You're not just a consumer there. Um, localized mission that you're able to invite your friends and your neighbors to um, more easily to hear and see what God is doing uh, in this place. So there's both that localized component and there's that discipleship component. Ultimately, the, 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 those are both reasons, but the ultimate reason is, of course, that we believe this, this is what the Spirit is leading us into, that we believe He has given us a vision for uh, renewal, um, and that part of that, there was this image of the oil that is reaffirming to us that we have everything we need in Christ by His Spirit. And that is good news for us, isn't it? It doesn't matter how, how old you are. It doesn't matter how, how young you are. It doesn't matter in the imagery that we saw there. It doesn't matter if you're a big vessel or, or a small vessel. That The point of it is that you are open to being used by the Spirit of God. You have something to contribute. And so this is why we're doing this sermon series, that if you are a Christian, you have something to contribute to your church community. As leaders of Church 21, we have been praying prayers like what Paul prays in Ephesians uh, 1. Ephesians 1 and verse 21, there's this beautiful prayer of Paul, and I will, I'll read it for us now. You can turn to it if you have your Bible. Paul says this, in Ephesians 1.18, he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope. And then he goes on, the inheritance. And this is what we're focusing in on in this series. His incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. So Paul is praying, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened to know his incomparably great power. Let us pray that together even right now. Lord, I pray that you would open the eyes of our heart to know your incomparably great power, your resurrection power that you say dwells within us, Father, that is far more than we can ever ask or even imagine. You are able to do so much more. Would we know that? Would you open our eyes to that reality and give us the gift of faith to respond in faithfulness? In Jesus' name, amen. Incomparably great power on offer to us. This is what the, the scripture says that we have in Christ by his resurrection power. And this is shown through the gifts of the Spirit. This is what we're talking about today. This is what our series is about, the gifts of the Spirit. Let me give you some context for the chapter uh, that was read this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 was written by uh, the whole book by a guy named Paul, who was a follower of Jesus, an apostle uh, of the church. 
And he writes to the church in the Greek city of Corinth. And it's a super messy church. They've got all sorts of uh, stuff going on. And in the midst of all these, uh, the messiness and the questions, they're asking questions like about men and women and leadership and how to do communion and unity and division. And spiritual gifts are in there too. And in their messiness, Paul is responding and he's saying, I, I want you to understand these spiritual gifts. This is where we start today in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 1. If you have your Bible, follow along. He says this, Now concerning the spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. Here's what I, here's what I love about this. This is why I bring in the messiness. The aspect of the messiness of the Corinthian church is that despite their mess, despite their disorderliness, despite the lack of character that they had, nonetheless, God didn't tell them to wait or to stop in using their gifts. And I need to nuance this, even as I say this. Gifts of the Spirit, I mean, the, the fruits of the Spirit always come as a priority to the gifts of the Spirit. Character always comes before gifting. And yet, nonetheless, what do we see in this text? God, he doesn't say through Paul, wait until you're more organized, you know. Wait until you've got this whole holiness thing figured out. No, he says, I do not want you to be uninformed. And that might resonate with where you're at today, actually. This is why I feel this is so relevant, that with everything happening with COVID, that us starting a series on the spiritual gifts, that just, like, that just might not be where you're at. <laughs> You're tired, right? You're just waiting to be out of this. You might be feeling spiritually dry or guilty, but I think what God is trying to say to us through this text is don't wait to be out of COVID. Don't wait until you have it all figured out. Don't wait until you're not feeling dry anymore to stop out, to step out and contribute to what I'm doing in the kingdom of God. God is not waiting for us to get everything in our lives in order before he uses us. He actually wants us to step out in faith and obedience and takes risks. And he will actually order us in our characters as part of that process. Does that make sense? And so even if you're not feeling like this is where you're at, talking about spiritual gifts, even if you're feeling spiritually dry, nonetheless, you can take heart. That Paul doesn't want us, God doesn't want us to be uninformed, that you have something to contribute through your spiritual gifts. And so, Paul, we also don't want you to be uninformed. What are the spiritual gifts? What are the spiritual gifts? Well, before we unpack that, I think I need to talk about who the Spirit is behind the spiritual uh, gifts. We need to take this step back. And I think what we, what we need to understand is that Christianity is a, a deeply supernatural worldview. God reveals himself as spirit. God is spirit. And it's actually by his power that you and I exist in the material that makes up this building and this camera and your laptop or TV. And he sustains all of that. And so this means then at the bottom of the universe is not more matter. It's not matter behind matter. It's actually the living, conscious intelligent spirit of God. And this actually makes a lot of sense. 
Like if you think about it, that the more we learn about our universe, the more you dig down and you know, ask the cause behind the cause, that at bottom you actually find intelligence and information. This is actually what you would expect if at bottom is a living, conscious mind, the spirit of God, and not just uh, unguided matter, unguiding other matter, nonetheless. And so he is real. The spiritual world is real. God, the spirit, is real. And he, in his power, has created and sustains this world, and he continues to work in it. And the ultimate work that he has done is the work that he has done through his son, Jesus. That he entered into this world. Jesus was a man who is said was full of the spirit of God. And it's through his life, death, and resurrection that we too can become people who are full of the spirit of God. Isn't that incredible? Isn't that amazing? That if we believe in Jesus, he says, the, word, the phrasing that he uses for it is that we can be born of God. It is such a, a, a drastic, life-altering, transforming experience beyond anything we can ask or imagine that it is as if you were born all over again when you encounter God's divine spirit in you, his empowering presence. And so you can see then, for this kind of thing to happen, this is not something that you just sort of put a lid on and contain kind of thing. Not at all. This is, this is the person of the Spirit of God, and He moves in us. He energizes us. He moves in us and energizes us for particular tools, for particular tasks. Not things you can contain, but things we call spiritual gifts. These are what the spiritual gifts are. The spiritual gifts are what? They are tools and roles that are supernaturally energized to carry out God's purposes in this world. This is why it says in our text in verse 7 that to each is given the manifestations of the Spirit. So this, the gifts are manifestations of the Spirit. That's just another way of saying the same sort of thing. Now, why, why would they be called manifestations? What, what is a manifestation? A manifestation is an outward, clear display or evidence in our lives. And so the gifts are outward, clear displays, evidence of the Spirit's presence in our lives. Noticeable, in other words. They're noticeable. They're supernaturally empowered. And this is challenging. This is striking for me, for us, to think of you know, the work we do, the ministry we do, the service we do, the mission we do. Is it clearly an outward display of the spirits of God, the spirit, the spirits of God, the spirit of God's power in your life? Does that make sense? That's challenging to me. Is that challenging to you? If you struggle with that, we're going to come back uh, to that. And so we've uh, defined what the spiritual gifts are. It might be helpful for us to look uh, at a list of them. The list that was given in verse nine and ten. Um, is this, for one is given uh, the spirit of the utterance of wisdom, to another the utterance of knowledge, according to the same spirit, to another faith by the same spirit, to another gifts of healing by the same spirit, another miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. I would say that this list given you see more at the end of chapter 12, more in chapter 14. It's not exhaustive, in other words. What we're going to do is 
not this week unpack these. I'm sure you have questions about them. But in the next five weeks, unpack them in sort of clusters. And so what are the spiritual gifts, tools, and roles given, energized supernaturally by God to carry out his purposes? Now, there's a lot of different views among Christians about the spiritual gifts, isn't there? So you might be wondering, well, what is Church 21's uh, stance or uh, belief about the spiritual gifts? Um, and I, I'm, I'm going to tell you, but I, I do first want to recognize this is, this is a large and controversial subject, isn't it? Um, there have been undoubtedly all sorts of uh, f- fanaticisms and abuses that have been associated with the spiritual gifts, and I am not uh, unaware of that at all. But what I thought I would do is, uh, rather than use our time to unpack all of the abuses and the uh, strange fire, if you would have it, to spend our time focusing in on who the Spirit is and how we can rightly pursue Him and His giftings. Um, holy fire, His holy fire, uh, if you would have that. Um, and so I don't uh, anticipate at all to be able to answer all your questions here or us in the next five weeks. But if you have concerns, if you have questions, please don't hold them in. Feel free to reach out to or to any one of your location leaders, and we'd be happy to discuss them with you further. So it's a large and controversial subject. We get it. But what are, um, what is Church 21's position on the spiritual gifts? Well, there's two main perspectives out there. Uh, doctrinally, one is called cessationism and the other one continuationism. Cessationism is the view that some of the gifts, namely prophecy, tongues, uh, miracles, had ceased with the death of the apostles um, and the uh, canonization of scripture. So that's cessationism. Uh, Continuationism is the view that all of the spiritual gifts continue to operate today as they did at the time the New Testament was written. So that's continuationism as opposed to cessationism. So where do we sit? We as Church 21 and the church planting network that we are a part of, Acts 29, are continuationists in persuasion. And so if you are here um, and you are from a charismatic or a Pentecostal background, this position will be uh, pretty familiar to you, perhaps just a bit more cautious in its application. We like to say we're charismatic, maybe, but with a seat belt. Um, one way that we uh, differ from our Pentecostal friends is we don't believe that the gift of tongues is a necessary evidence of someone's faith in Jesus. Um, it's also important to note that we're part of a denomination, uh, the French Baptist, ABEC, which is a cessationist denomination, and yet they're happy to have us as a continuationist church in their denomination. They consider this an open-handed issue. And so we're grateful to be doing ministry with them in this province. But you might be wondering, okay, that's the theological position, that's nice, but why are we uh, continuous in persuasion? Why do we believe all the gifts of the Spirit are still in operation today? I'm going to give you three reasons as quick as I can. Biblical, historical, evidential. Biblical. I would challenge you, if you have not sat down and read through the book of Acts or listened to it in like one or two sittings, do that. Do that. And I think you will find, like the pastor theologian uh, Sam Storm says, uh, this. The gifts of prophecy and tongues are not portrayed as merely inaugurating the new covenant age. That's the age we live in. But characterizing it. Not inaugurating it, but characterizing it. See, in Acts, there's over 65 verses narrating and packing stories about the gifts in action. 
in the epistles as a whole, you have over 165 verses unpacking and explaining how to use the spiritual gifts. And these verses are not uh, written just for the apostles to figure out how they can use the gifts and attest to themselves. Not at all. They're written for average you know, Frank and Joe and Susie kind of believers, you know, so that we can be equipped and understand the gifts. And so why would you have, in other words, all of this teaching on the gifts if they've ceased in the new covenant? I think the burden of proof from scripture lies on the person who thinks they have. See, never in the Bible are we told that the gifts um, have ceased and we do not need them. Rather, we're told the opposite. 1 Corinthians 13, that until Christ comes and brings his kingdom and all its perfection, we still need these kinds of giftings. You see this all in, also in Ephesians 4, that the apostles and the prophets, those are supernaturally energized roles. Clearly, the apostles and prophets are for the building of the church until, Paul says, until we attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. And the question I was asked is, are we there yet? Are we at mature manhood, the fullness and knowledge and maturity? No, no, not at all. But the gifts are needed to disciple us into that place, into Christ's likeness, which is why we still need them. So that's the biblical reason why we're continuationists. Historically, there's good evidence that the gifts continue to function throughout church history. This was something I was surprised to find uh, from my uh, upbringing. Church fathers like Irenaeus, Justin Martyr, uh, right to the Middle Ages, Thomas Aquinas, Bernard de Clairvaux, uh, more Reformation times. You had the Morovians, the French Huguenots. Uh, the Mennonites, the Wesleyans, the global Pentecostal movement right up until today. I got two books on my shelf at home called Miracles. It's 1,500 pages documenting contemporary accounts of God moving uh, in, in the world. So there's historical, there's biblical, and then finally experiential. Um, I think when it comes to the experiential argument, I think this is one of the strongest arguments of my uh, cessationist friends. And it's that we rarely observe, you know, if you're doing that read through Acts or listen through Acts, that we rarely observe the same intensity of gifts like you see there, like people being raised from the dead or uh, the paralytic being healed. And let me say, I really, I hear that. Like, I get that. I wish we saw more of that kind of thing. But let me, let me say it uh, like this. I know that any experience I share with you is admittedly uh, subjective and, and, and antidotal. But nonetheless, the more that I've sought to live out my life in step with the Spirit and talk to other people uh, as well and, and heard their stories, the more convinced I've become that this is also experientially true. Let me just share a few stories uh, with you very briefly. Um, when I was in Oxford, I had a friend there. She was a Korean, and she showed me a video on her phone that was shown on national news in Korea of her mom who had medically died, and people in the church community felt so strongly in the spirit that was not God's will. They actually prayed for her and filmed the process. They were so convinced. And when she came back to life, it actually went viral on social media there. She showed me that video. It blew my mind. Another friend from Oxford, uh, we were doing Alpha. I wasn't there that night, but we were doing Alpha, uh, and he was praying in tongues, and this person was not a believer, and they were absolutely flabbergasted. They're like, how are you saying this? This is, I am a researcher 
in a dead, ancient Persian language, and I hear you saying to me that God loves me in this ancient, dead language. And the guy's like, I don't know. I'm just praying in tongues. Or myself up north, this is several years ago, sitting with a friend who was a victim of abuse, and I had nothing to say to them. And so I'm praying and asking the Spirit for wisdom, and I heard these words, and I said them out, and they're saying, you're speaking to me in my language, my language, Nescapi. And it, it blew my mind. <laughs> I think there's so many more stories we could tell. Yes, I get it. We don't often observe the same intensity of the gifts. But what if you took your whole life of walking in step with the Spirit and all the stories your friends have told, you smash that into something you would read in two or three hours like the book of Acts. What would you get? And so this is why I believe for experiential, historical, and biblical reasons that the gifts of the Spirit are for today, why, we, why I'm a continuationist. And this is where we sit uh, doctrinally as a church. Now, that being said, practically, there's some very important things I need to say to this. One, if you disagree with me, that's fine. I am so glad you're here walking with us. We consider this to be an open-handed issue for people attending and participating in our church community. It'd be different if you're an elder, but if you're participating in our church community, this is an open-handed issue. Some of you will want us to emphasize this more. Some of you will want us to emphasize this less. I would say just keep uh, pressing into Scripture. Uh, keep uh, discussing this. But remember, as you do this, do it with the humility, the charity, and the respect, and the gentleness that Christ has modeled uh, for us in that. The other practical thing we need to say is that uh, as you know, like, what does this look like? What does it look like to practice this out? Like, this is the doctrine, right? But what does the doctrine look like practiced out in the church? Well, we need to be upfront about that, right? Um, this means that rather than us sitting around and sitting on our hands, taking that sort of approach, we attempt to practice this out by praying and pursuing and equipping in the spiritual gifts. And that means things like if you are sick or if you are struggling, we're going to say, can we pray for you? Can we come around you and pray for you? Or if we know we need some gift, we'll pray, Lord, would you please uh, give us more of the gifts of the Spirit? We pursue them. We don't want to be in the position where we don't have because we don't ask. Rather, we want to ask, seek, and knock for the good gift of the Holy Spirit's presence in our life. That's Luke chapter 11. We want to be like Paul who prayed in the privacy. He prayed in tongues in the privacy of his own home or whatever. Paul said for us, he's like, I want you all to speak in tongues. That's our desire for you as well. Earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, Paul says, especially that you may prophesy. So we pursue the gifts and we pray for the gifts and we equip in the gifts like this sermon series, the book, Practicing the Power. And of course, practically, importantly, we do this all cautiously. We submit it all to the authority, the supreme authority of God's word, whatever comes. And so this is what it means to be practicing continuationalists. We pray, we pursue, we equip in the spiritual gifts. And that's important that you know, um, for you to know as we go through these next uh, six weeks as a church in this series. This is where we sit theologically, and this is how we got there with Scripture. Now, let's go back to the text. 1 Corinthians 12. What is the purpose of the spiritual gifts? I'm going to give you two things. First, the gifts are for the glory of God. Verse 2. 
You know, when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. What's going on here? Verse 3 is not saying, you know, if you say Jesus is Lord, this just means you are a Christian any more than if you say Jesus is accursed. You are not. I mean, I, I just read that verse, right? That would be taking it too, too literally, uh, right? No, it's saying something much more profound, much, much, much deeper, right? This is coming out of, of course, a context cult of Rome enforced the belief that Caesar was Lord. And so if you said Jesus was Lord, that is something that had deep uh, and dangerous implications on your life. If we say Jesus is Lord, not quite the same implications for us uh, socially in our time, but there are those same deep implications. And this is what Paul is getting at if you actually want to live that out in your life. It's a dangerous thing for you to submit everything to the lordship of Jesus. And so what you find as you do that, the Spirit of God presses into you his lordship. As you pursue him, he presses his lordship into you and always glorifies God. And and this is what his gifts do as well. They always glorify God. They always exalt him. And so the purpose of the gifts is to glorify God. They bring everything under the banner of Jesus is Lord. One of the implications of this, well, it means that using the gifts is an act of worship. (laughs) Sitting with my friend um, from up north, um, with that time when I when I spoke that word in Nescapi, I mean, there was n- it was so obvious that I didn't do that by my own ability. It was so obviously the Spirit of God. We just sort of like, kind of like, what just happened? And then just turned and prayed and worshiped God together. And that is what the gifts do, right? They bring glory to God, not to our own selves. It was so clearly for the glory of God and not by my own power. And this is what it's going at, uh, saying in verse 4 to 6. Now, there there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, or you could read that, energizings, but the same God that empowers them all and everyone. Gifts, ministries, energizings. Are these all ways of just saying the same thing? No, I don't don't think so. Um, Think of it like you're building a house, and you have tools in building the house. The tools are, are like the gifts. You're your power drill or whatever. And also in building the house, you have people with different roles, carpenters and plumbers and electricians. And the roles are like the ministry, uh, the ministries here. And then you have the energy required to carry out your role, be it you as a person or like a compressor or whatever. And so what it's saying here, it is the triune God, the same Lord, same spirit, same God who empowers them all. He supplies the tools. He supplies the, the roles. He supplies the energy even necessary to build up his household, the household of God. God is the source, and God is the power of the spiritual gifts. Meaning, yes, again, it's not our natural abilities. It is not our personality traits. And this might be a good thing, actually, a surprising thing. It doesn't You know, if you're an introvert, it doesn't mean you cannot be an evangelist. It also means things like if you're a high-powered executive, that you're not necessarily the person called into administration in the church. Actually, that might be 
the night cook that God has called and equipped for that service and that uh, role. So that's, that's surprising news. It's also good news. It means things also like God is the source and the power of the gifts that, well, if you're here and you're feeling super exhausted, if you're feeling super tired, well, no, it's not your energy that's going to do it anyway. It's his energy powerfully working within you far more than you can ever ask or imagine. And so you just need to rest in dependence on him. That's if you're tired or if you're feeling inadequate. Well, it's not really about your adequacy, was it? I mean, he is the source of the gifts. Jesus was already adequate before the Father on your behalf. And so you just need to step into who you are and who he's called you to be. Because he's the source of the gifts, the power of the gifts. And so the purpose of the gifts is to bring glory to God. And the next, that they are for the common good. For glory to God, bring glory to God, and for the common good. It says in verse 7, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. In other words, not your private spiritual enrichment. That means the gift I have is not for me. It's for you. And the gift you have is not just for you, it's also for me. And so in growing and understanding and using my gift, you are helped grow into maturity in Christ. And you growing and understanding and using your gift helps grow me into maturity in Christ. Super important. And I think the converse of that is also true. If we are not uh, understanding and using our gifts, expect to see stunted growth. Expect to see immaturity in the church. The gifts are not for your private spiritual enrichment, but for the common good. Uh, pastorally, I know that some of you get to a place like this, and you're, you're like, ah, oh, what does this mean for, like, I'm kind of uncomfortable. Do I need to go around telling people, like, I'm gifted in this, or I'm gifted in that? No, not necessarily. But acknowledging, just acknowledging your gifts is not necessarily a prideful thing. Why? Well, because the gifts are from God and therefore the glory of God. And so there's nothing for you to take pride in in acknowledging them. In fact, to not acknowledge them and not to use them is dishonoring to the God who gave them to you. And rather, it's an act of worship to use them. Also, if they're for the common good, if you do not use your gift, that's not a humble thing, right? No, that's just you more concerned about appearing prideful than actually loving your community and your neighbors enough to seek out their good by using that gift. Does that make sense? So use your gift. Use it for the glory of God. Use it for the good of others. And in that, yes, you know what? A secondary derivative is it will edify you. James uh, talks about that. Paul talks about that. Tongues building us up. But just know that's not the primary purpose. The primary purpose of the gifts, glorify God for the common good. Now, let's apply this. Some of you have uh, been listening to me. You're tracking with everything I'm saying, but you're just, you got this big gap where you're like, that's cool. That's nice theologically, definitionally, but I do not know what my gifts are. And you see in verse 7, it says, to each is given. And you're like, I know that's not just for the pastor, and I know that's not just for my parent. That's also clearly for me. If I'm a Christian, I have a gift. So what do you do if you do not know what your gift is? Very practical. Three things. One, trust that God has indeed given you a gift. 
Just because you do not know what your gift is does not mean that you do not have a gift given to you by God. You do have one. Rather, what you need to do is pray and ask that God will increase your faith to lay hold of the promise that is right here in this text that says, to each is given. (laughs) That's for you. God saw it fit to give you not just, and though this would be sufficient, life and salvation, but to go beyond that and give you the good gift of the Holy Spirit and His power working in you to use you in this world. Trust that God has indeed given you a gift. That's first. Then step out. This is what a lot of people don't do. Sit around, hands in the pockets, do some deep introspection, wondering what the gift might be that the good Lord has given me. Let me tell you, rather than doing that, sitting around asking the question, what is my gift? Ask the question, where can I serve? What is needed? Who can I encourage? And then step out and do it in faith and obedience to God. You know, let's say, for example, you have a friend and they keep falling into sin and falling into temptation. Here's one thing you could do. You could say, well, I don't have the gift of encouragement and I don't have the gift of wisdom, so I'm not going to be with that person. The other thing you can do is say, well, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say, but the least I can do is sit and listen and pray for them. And you guys, you do not know how often people come to me with things I, I have no, I have no idea what to say. I mean, I was educating as a mining, a mining engineer, right? And yet in those times, the good thing about that, okay, the good thing about that is that continues to reroute me back down and remind me of my continual dependence on the Lord in those moments. The next thing it shows me is I, I, I don't know the answers yet. That's true. But I do know somebody who does. And he's a friend who sticks closer to the brother. And so I can ask him and he can reveal things through his word. And so I'll often go into those meetings saying, Lord, I don't know. Just give me a spirit of wisdom and understanding. And many times, not always, he will give me a specific image or word or thing from from scripture that is the very thing that somebody needs to dislodge them from something like like that or sin or a temptation that's just how God works and it's so clearly not me the glory goes to God but just don't sit around wondering I mean ah that can become such a self-obsession an excuse for obeying no repent of that right you have everything you need in Christ step out in faith and obedience and he will reveal, I believe, what your gifts are. You know, I can't stop this point. I think there's something else that the Spirit needs to tell us through this. It could be that everything I'm telling you right now about the gifts of the Spirit and them being outward powerful manifestations of his work in your life sits something so alien to you because you have lived your life in comfort and never taken any risks for him. And until you step out and take risks for him and put your dependence on him, you will not know his power in your life because you can just operate on your own power. And what God wants you is to depend on him. To, if that is you, repent of that, prayerfully repent of that, because what, re, what prayer does is it reroutes us back into dependence on him and know where the energizing really comes from, that it is not about you, it is about him. My goodness, comfort can so get in the way of what God wants to do with us. Step out in faith, step out in obedience before him. And it's Man, he empowers even the little things, things that we don't consider big are actually uh, big things. I shouldn't say they're little things. Asking, um, you know, how can I serve you? 
How can I serve you in my city group? Or, or how can I love this person who is difficult to love? Or, uh, Lord, should I step into this role that I'm afraid or I feel incompetent to take in leadership or serving or whatever? The Spirit wants to, to empower us in all of those kinds of things, but we need to step out uh, before Him. And so, if you don't know what your gift is, uh, trust that God has indeed given you gift and, and, and step out uh, in faith and know that He will be with you in that and revealing Himself to you through it. And then one more thing is pray with friends. Pray with friends. This is another way that I've seen God reveal his gifting. I remember just over a year ago, we were at a baptism service, our English, our French congregations together. It's something we do um, in a quarterly rhythm. And I was baptizing people like Duncan. We're talking Duncan. And I had this sudden, sudden, I had this sudden specific memory come into my mind of something that somebody had years ago prayed over me. They said in their prayer that you are Jordan, and through you, many people will cross into the kingdom of God, into the promised land. You will be a baptizer of many. And in that moment, that word, that prophetic word came back to me, and I was struck. I was like, whoa, I had forgotten about that. But that was something that was revealed to me through friends coming around and praying over me. And so, like Timothy did with Paul, Paul said, you know, fan in the flame the gift that was given to you by the laying on of hands. Invite people to come around you and pray and help you discern what your gifting is. This is why we have, you know, these prayer meets. You know, up to 10 people in these NDG, West Island, downtown, uh, South Shore, we've, we've been doing this in all these places. This is a great place for you to come and say, I don't know what my gifting is. I need discernment. I need wisdom. I need healing. Whatever it is, would you pray for me? We would be happy to pray for you. And then you can be like, how can I pray for you in return? All of these are ways you can help uh, discern your gifting. Trust God has indeed given you a gift. Step out in faith and pray with friends. And then what if you want more gifts? A final application on the final verse. He says, all these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. And so what if you want more gifting than you have now? Well, know that God apportions the gifts as he wills. He chooses them as he wills. That means that, you know, you don't, you don't get to select them. Not everybody gets to be this or that particular role. Not everybody gets to be you know, a prophet or not everybody I don't know, gets, you get the idea. The body needs all its parts. I think uh, one of my favorite examples of this is Stephen in Scripture. Acts chapter 6, he's described as a man who is full of faith in the Holy Spirit. And you know what his gifting was? His gifting, full of the faith in Holy Spirit, was to serve tables. We need more Stephens in our midst, uh, don't we? People full of faith in the Holy Spirit who are willing to serve wholeheartedly. God chooses these gifts. We don't all get the same one. And we also, that means we don't earn them. It's not by our holiness that they come uh, about. God chooses them. But that doesn't mean we don't pursue them. God is not opposed to uh, effort. He's opposed to earning. Earning is where you have that sense of entitlement. No, God tells us to still uh, engage our wills in this process and earnestly pursue the higher gifts. And that means we don't just sit around and sort of wonder and sit on our hands. No, we, we pray uh, and we ask, we ask God. It's, a, it's actually a command. And so, and so we do that. Um, and so that's what I would encourage you to do as an application as we come 
out of this sermon. So what I have uh, for us now is that I've in, uh, asked Jeff and I've asked Trenton to come up and to share um, some about their spiritual gifts, one of their primary gifts. Things you, you guys can come on up and uh, grab a microphone. Uh, to share on their gifts, uh, I've been talking about how the body is composed of many members and we're interdependent with each other and we all have gifts. Um, and how if you have a gift um, that I don't have, that gift is meant to help grow me into maturity in Christ. And that also means that there's certain things that you have learned or um, uh, enjoyed about God through the gifts that he's given you, um, certain things you know about God that I have not yet heard or encountered. And so it's important that I'm listening to you and learning from you. Um, and so that's what we wanted to do now. And so I have two questions for, for each of them. Uh, the first question, I guess I'll go with you, Trenton. Um, what have you learned about the giver through one of the primary gifts that you've been given? Thanks, Jordan. Uh, I just wanted to, to share that what I'm going to talk about is the, the gift of like prophetic gifting uh, that the giver has given. And uh, over the past year or so, uh, there's just been this continued understanding that the Holy Spirit is a person of God. And not, like Jordan was saying, not just this presence, this force that can be conjured or coerced into doing what you want or what you desire. Uh, Francis Chan talked about the uh, Holy Spirit being the forgotten God. Uh, Sam Storms used an analogy of uh, just like... Some people think Holy Spirit is like a plug, like, and you, there's the power there, and if you go plug your finger into it, you're going to get that access to the power. But the Holy Spirit is always with you, always wanting to work through you, and that step of faith is really touched me, uh, really important, taking that step of faith. Um, your gifting probably isn't what like an online test told you it was, and that you tell other people that's your gifting because that's what you heard online, but you're not living in that gifting in any real way. So it's taking that step of trust. And so I just wanted to share a couple of those steps of trust that I've been able to have uh, and which allowed me to learn more about the Holy Spirit. Uh, so one was uh, just in uh, a meeting, a verse came to mind and I knew I was supposed to share it with a specific individual. And and people ask, like, what does it mean to like have a peace or to know like when the Holy Spirit is speaking to you? And all I can say is it's just like the same like way that I know when I sit down on a solid looking chair, it's going to hold my weight. It's just that same knowing. I just don't doubt. And so the verse was, uh, may the Lord of peace himself uh, grant you peace at all times in every way. And I shared it with this brother and, and he said that, that he had been going through a really hard time and been praying that God would give him peace. And so that just the fact that the Holy Spirit brought that verse to mind in that time to care for this brother, uh, that shows me Holy Spirit's love uh, for, for that uh, individual. Another time, uh, the, the Holy Spirit uh, kind of gave me this image. And I want to share these, these examples because in the Holy Spirit being a person of God, Holy Spirit is creative. Like God, Holy Spirit has the same creativity that we see when we look around in the world and we see God's creation. And so I was just sitting, praying, uh, asking, is there something you want to show me? And all of a sudden, I, I just see in my mind's eye, like, these waves, these crashing waves. Uh, and I'm like, okay, is this is this something? And it's like, I'm not hearing that voice, like, saying, yes, keep thinking about these waves. But it's like, I had a sense, like, yeah, I'm showing you something. 
Uh, and I see the, these huge waves, like a bad storm kind of waves. They cross each other, create like this, this V in the middle. And in the middle of the two waves, I see a figure of light. I'm like, oh, this really seems like something now. Uh, and it's reminding me of the passage when like the disciples were in the storm and they saw Jesus. They're like, he's a phantom. Uh, and Jesus was like, don't, don't be afraid. I'm with you. Uh, so is all this something? And I really had a sense, yes. But then I was like, well, who do I share it with? When do I share it? And it just... I, I literally sat on that for four days, and then all of a sudden, I just knew I was supposed to share it. And that, uh, and then in turn, the person who received uh, that word shared with me that that whole day, they had felt like, or for an extended period of time leading up to that day, they had felt like they had been uh, knocked back and forth by like massive waves of anxiety in their life, uh, and that that day, they were specifically wondering, like, if another wave hits me, am I going to be able to make it? And and that specific day, Holy Spirit wanted to say to that person, like, the words of Jesus, do not be afraid, I'm with you. Uh, and then just one last example. So it's just re recollection of, a, of scripture, uh, an image that came to mind. One last example is I had a dream uh, that a friend of mine just came up to, my, like, up to me, like ran to me and like laid his head on my chest and was like bawling. And, and that was it. That's all I remember. I woke up and I was like, well, might as well call that, that couple. Uh, so I, was, I spoke with uh, his wife and I just asked, how are they doing? And she shared with me that she had just had a miscarriage. And so I was able to, to stop then and there and just pray over her, pray over their family. Uh, and God just orchestrated that that would happen through a dream because I would not have just gone out and asked how they're doing and can I pray for you uh, like if it wasn't for that dream. And so those are just some simple ways that I really have been learning about who the Holy Spirit is. How does he work in the church through these giftings? Yeah, that's good. Um, there was a second uh, part to that. Uh, maybe I'll ask you and then I'll turn it over to Jeff. Yeah, okay. Um, which is, what have you learned about God through others ministering their gifts to you? Yeah, well, it's, it all mixes together a lot. Like yeah. what you were saying, like we, we serve others, others serve us like, um, through the gifts being used in the church. And what I have seen and learned about God is the depth of his love for the church, for the, the body of Christ and for those who are not yet believers, that he will go in really, like, the only limits to God are the limits we put on him. And when we say, no, I'm not going to step out in faith like you're asking me to, uh, the, what I'm learning about God is he loves us all in such an individual way that he will go and reach out to us in an individual way. Uh, and I think those things are uh, illustrated in even those, those little stories I shared with you. Yeah, that's good. Thanks, uh, Trent. Now I'm going to turn over to Jeff here um, and ask those same two questions, which is what have you learned about the giver through the gifts that he's given you? Yeah, I've learned, um, especially, you know, as I, one of the biggest ways that I've kind of learned my gift is, like you said, go out, step out, and just see how God works in your life. So for me, I've seen him work through the gift of evangelism. But as I discern, like, what, where do I primarily see that? I, here's one thing that I've learned about God, that he, he knows how to speak to us, but he knows how to serve us as well. And so I've seen um, the Holy Spirit show up in my life by compelling me with mercy. There's a gift of mercy. I've been moved by compassion and with a disposition, disposition to serve and to help. So I see the Holy Spirit going above and beyond me to serve and help. But I've learned that the best way to serve people, the best way to help people is with by proclaiming the good news of the gospel. 
So that's the gift of evangelism. So I see that the the proclamation of the gospel kind of comes through in these acts of service as well um, and in mercy and in, in these opportunities to share the gospel and in the opportunities to be compelled towards people I normally wouldn't be, mm-hmm. um, I've learned that God has more compassion for people than I do. He goes above and beyond. And that God has um, um, more time for people than I do. Mm-hmm. But God actually orients my uh, time and my path to be with people that need to hear the good message of the gospel. Um, and... And that in all of this, I've really learned that there's only one way to God, and that's Jesus. And I, I heard this a, a while ago, um, but there's as many ways to Jesus as there are people. And so God not only knows each and ind- every individual, mm-hmm. but he, he knows what's on their heart, how to reach them, and what to speak to their heart. That's good. Um, what have you learned about God through other people ministering their gifts to you? I've really been able to see God and get to know God um, just on an intimate level through people's generosity. And there's a gift of generosity. And as one who is in, kind of employed, my salary is provided by people's generosity as a missionary. Um, that's one way that I've seen God's particular love and provision. But also even recently when a couple months ago we were sick and quarantined at home, mm. we couldn't provide... You know, we couldn't uh, go to the store. We couldn't uh, do a lot in those days. But the church showed such generosity mm-hmm. in cooking meals, sending groceries, sending money for takeout, all different ways that people mm-hmm. showed up. And God brought people to our door. Yeah. Christians and non-Christians were moved to come and serve through generosity. In, during a time where we couldn't go to church, it's like the church came to us. We saw God's tangible love being mm. materialized through meals for us. That's good. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that, uh, Jeff. I'll just uh, close this out this morning. You can see f- from what they shared um, how God you know, uses the gifts to show us his care and his encouragement and his creativity and his service and his, his love and his generosity. Um, and so the gifts are so, so, uh, so good and they're so important. Um, and so I'm, I'm going to pray for us, um, and then we're going to move into a time of, uh, of response. So Lord, I thank you for uh, who you are, for what you give to us by your Holy Spirit. And I f- pray, Father, that you would give us courage to step into everything that you have for us in Christ, that you would help us to work out and to discern what, what is it that you have given us to, to be uh, of your honor um, and, and for your service uh, and to see your kingdom come here in, in Montreal as it is in heaven. So I ask, Father, that you would equip and, and that you would uh, encourage us through this in Jesus' name, and that you would show us your great power, that you would open the eyes of our heart to see and to receive that. I pray for anybody, Father, who is listening to this, um, and their problem is in ignorance, but it's insecurity in their gifting or in who they are, Father, that they would find themselves as not secure in themselves, but secure in you, that you have called them, you have uh, predestined them, and you have loved them, and you have equipped them before the foundation of the world to be a vital part of growing your church up into maturity in Christ. Lord, I just speak that as a word of encouragement over anybody here today. Would you strengthen us? In Jesus' name.
Amen.